Let me just read the psalm. Now, I'm going to read the version that I memorized as a child, but I also love its poetic cadence. And so that's the King James Version. That's what you memorized, I'm sure. This is one of those psalms that everybody knows at least the first line. They maybe know another line or two later, but at least this much. So let me read, and then we'll look for what the Lord has for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod, uh, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now prepare us the table before me, in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my, anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm not putting the Bible away either. I have it copied here, so. What I want to focus on this week and then in a couple of weeks that I have before you is to bring a message from the Psalms that focuses on the emotional appeal of the psalm. One of the reasons they are so deeply loved by so many Christians is that, is that they give an expression to an amazing array of emotion. In fact, all of the basic human emotions you will find in some psalm. Uh, anyone ever taken on the task of, okay, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm, I'm going to read the Psalms. I'm going to read the Psalms from one, and I'm going to go right through to 150. Anybody do that? That's hard. It's hard to do. There are so many different kinds of poetry that we don't get in English, so sometimes it makes the English difficult to read. And then there are so many fluctuations in the intensity of the psalm, and sometimes a psalm will start out with anger and frustration and end in praise and prayer. Just remember this, virtually everything we do and everything we say, everything we experience, every one of you, every moment of your life is governed by an emotion. You feel something. Something happens, something is said, something's not said, something doesn't happen. We feel. We feel something. Sometimes it's low, doesn't register high, doesn't get a, a reaction. Sometimes it's high, and it's intense, and it burns, and it's painful, and, and then we quickly cover up, and many times anger is one way we cover up. It's a different emotion. It's not primary. But most of the time, we're very unaware of what it is we actually feel. And the Psalms call us to real feelings, appropriate to the message, appropriate to the passage, appropriate to the poetry of what's being said. 
They call us to feel along with the the psalmist. Look, these are divinely inspired poems and songs and, and outbursts of praise and frustration. They're deep utterances sometimes, penetratingly thoughtful. They're reflections asking us to feel it, to, to feel it, to be there. And we do. We share in the frustration of life. We share in loneliness when the psalmist says, I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. We know what that feels like. We know what sorrow is from Psalm 31. My life is spent with sorrow. We know what contrition is and depression and joy and fear and anger and grief and brokenheartedness and many more emotions that are part of the Psalms. Well, this Psalm calls us to especially understand two, fear and comfort. Fear and comfort. And I think they are antithetical. I don't, you know, uh, the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is, biblical fear, is comfort. This psalm is sometimes so familiar to us that it's such lovely poetry that it's kind and it's soft and it's gentle and it flows and it's, we remember pieces, parts of it and, and we can say it flowingly, but it's rugged. It is a rugged piece of literature that as we look through it and look at its pieces, parts, as it's formed and fashioned together, it is a hard statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's part of a, an elbow, one thing, uh, that there's a number of psalms that kind of fit together. Uh, it's, it's hard to figure out, well, why is Psalm 1, 1, and what did, how did 2 add to it? Is there, is there a flow to the Psalms? Well, it kind of goes beyond us. But in some places, we find that there is this meaningful attachment from one Psalm to the next without those Psalms having been at least deliberately or specifically written. But the editors of the gatherers of this Psalm have recognized these go together. Psalm 21. Psalm 21, uh, this psalm speaks of, uh, in verse 3, for you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a crown of fine gold on his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. There's a messianic imagery here that speaks of the one who will be royally set apart. Psalm 22, though, we find that that royal setting apart will put him in a position where a band of evildoers have encompassed him and they pierced his hands and pierced his feet and they divided his garments among them and his clothing, for his clothing they cast lots. In Psalm 23, it is the shepherd 
who lays down his life for his friends. And it's not until we get to Psalm 24 that then there's this burst of praise. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So there's a flow there that all of those psalms, even though they individually stand by themselves, there's this thematic flow. And part of our look tonight will be into the 23rd psalm of how it's a journey. Now you can read Psalm 23 from the beginning, the first, first verse, and go through to the end, and it seems to have a set journey, that it's a sequential thing. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, that's the only place in Scripture that that line is ever used. Now, just remember this. He's, this David, and he's identifying himself as a sheep, which is a very lowly thing. But he also calls Yahweh a shepherd, which is also the lowliest of the tasks of a family. Uh, David was the shepherd, right? Why? He was the youngest. Get out and look after the sheep. <laughs> but it's a journey psalm that starts, uh, we can look at it in one sense that the Lord is my shepherd. There's a sense in which that covenantal God, Yahweh, the one who condescends, the one who stoops and takes in and takes care of those entrusted to him, he has made them lie down in green pastures, led them beside quiet waters, restored them, and then leads them in paths of righteousness. There's a picture of salvation here where the Word of God and the Spirit of God produce the resurrection in our own lives. And then we go forward being led into paths of righteousness. And so then the rest becomes a reflection. Well, I live in this world. I'm still here in this world. And it is the valley of the shadow of death. But I will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, that which protects and that which guides, they're, they're with me. You're with me. They protect me where I don't fear. They give me comfort. And you treat me well. You, right in front of my enemies, you prepare a table and you anoint me with oil and my cup runs over and goodness and mercy will follow me and this will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's a beginning of his new life and then there's this ending in glory forever and ever. And it's not a, and, it's not a wrong reading to view this psalm sequentially, but I, I, it doesn't capture its true beauty. It doesn't get at the deeper places. This is also a psalm which if you have your Bible and you recognize, turn to, uh, turn to Psalm 1, you'll see also there it says book 1. Book 1. And then, you know, in Psalm 42, I think it, it, it starts book 2. And, and there's five books of these psalms. And each book will start with some sort of praise. And then at the end of the last psalm in each one of those books, we'll have a benediction. The end of this one is amen and amen at, at the end of Psalm 41. Those five books of the psalms roughly 
imagery-wise, thematically, in, in sometimes in strong ways, sometimes in difficult ways to see, relate to the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Psalm 23 resides within that book one corresponding to the book of Genesis. What's the major theme of Genesis, by the way? Redemption. Creation, fall, redemption. And this psalm leads us in that way. Also understand that in this psalm, there's where is God? Where is the Lord? At one point, he's in front leading. Another point, he is beside, he's with. At the end, he is behind, chasing. Goodness and mercy are names for God. They will follow him all the days of his life. It's a unique feature in this psalm, that God is spatially located in reference to this sheep. Another unusual feature is the shift from the third, uh, third person to the second person. You know, that grammar stuff that we didn't, none of us did well. Did anybody do well with grammar? <laughs> first person, second person, third person, singular and plural. Well, here it starts out uh, the first person, or the, se- the third person, the Lord. It's referring to... He makes me lie down. He restores. He leads. Third person. He guides. It's for his name's sake. Whoever the author, David, is speaking to, uh, he's telling them things about God, things that are true, truths about this Yahweh who is the shepherd. He makes me, he leads me, he restores me, he guides me. It's all for him. We're being addressed. We're being told of the work and the works of the Lord. Truths. And then it shifts. You are with me. It's your rod. We've gone from the third person to the second person. Your staff, you prepare a table, you anoint my head with oil. The speaker turns his comments about God toward God, speaking directly to him. Truth always leads to worship. That's one of the reasons why it's wonderful that we declare our faith. We, we have a declaration, a confession of faith on our, in our worship service. Our hymns and hymnody, our choruses, our declarations of the work of God on behalf of the people of God. Tonight was wonderful. Lost my voice a little bit. I wasn't going to sing. Then I thought, well, I'm singing so loud. I wonder if you could hear me through your mic. It's not a good thing. But it was great singing because it was great truths. And as we speak, as we sing those truths, then we want to, oh, it's... Thank you, Lord. We speak directly to him. Truth leads us to worship. And that's why it is so beautiful in the Christian life when we add knowledge to our faith. Learn about God. 
I think as a pastor, as uh, someone been involved in, in teaching ministry and caring ministry, uh, when people have difficulty, they're challenged, it's hard. I, I start first by asking, well, what do you know about God? What do you believe about God? And try to refresh those details. What's he like? And, you know, often there's misunderstanding or there's gaps. And, and as the pastor, that's a delight to try to fill in some of those places and, and see somebody get that aha moment or that quiet rest moment or that relief place that while there are shadows of death all around us and there are fears that emerge from within us and rampage all over, I get, because I have truth, a place of comfort. It hasn't dispelled the shadows. It hasn't, it hasn't removed necessarily the fears. But it has taken that central place. Truth leads to worship. There's also a literary structure in this psalm that's not apparent from the reading. It's called chiasm. Verse 1 and verse 6 match. Verse 2, verse 5. Verse 3, verse 4 with a central idea. There's some theme going on there. Uh, and in the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't have any want. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so uh, word themes are the chiastic arrangement, or at least the driving force between that poetic arrangement. It's very common in Hebrew literature, especially uh, uh, poet, uh, poetry. And what it does, though, is it directs us to the middle. So the fact that the Lord is the shepherd has something to do with the middle. The fact that we dwell in the house of the Lord forever has something to do with what happened in the middle. And in the middle is this. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So as we go through and have a look at a few more of the features, let that ring in our ears. Is God, is, is God with you? How do we know? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, not ask, I'm not asking to be instructed. <laughs> but let's all be reminded that God is with us, and where two or more are gathered in His name, and we have lifted up His name, and we're praising Him. He's with us. And I look around, and I know people. And I know their challenges and hard places. But His rod and His staff... That which is in his right hand, my other right, that which is in his left hand, the very providences of God. The arms of God are with us. And that's why we can be comforted. There's also here in this, all, remember the chiasm, the feeding to the middle. But also a prominent poetic feature in this place is the presence of twos, doublets, couplets. There's verse 1, the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 6, the Lord. Verse 1, there's the infinitesimally small, I will want for nothing. And verse 6, there's the eternal imagery. They're opposites, but they are couplets. 
There's, in verse 2, the feeding imagery of a green pasture, or a, a, a literally, Hebrew, an enclosure, a green enclosure. And then in verse 5, there's the feeding imagery of the table. In verse 2, there's the watering or drinking imagery of the quiet waters. And in verse 5, again, watering and drinking imagery of a cup that's overflowing. Uh, verse 3, I am guided in a path. Verse 4, I walk through a valley. This is journey language. That's a couplet. There's evil and there are enemies. There's a rod and there's a staff. There's goodness and there's mercy. There's doubles. There's doubles. There's doubles. It's, it's, when we do poetry, we do roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. We rhyme. And we have meter. In Hebrew, they do have meter, by the way. Uh, and there's some of that here, but I don't speak Hebrew well enough to bring it out. But in, in Hebrew, it's often the doubling or the antithetical or the coupling of ideas. And it's a little more obscure, but in this psalm, it's there. It's, there. it's twice. So many things are twice. What does twice do for us in the Bible? What does a doubling do for, do for us in the Bible? The number two, what does it represent? It is the evidence of two witnesses are required for a truth to be established. Deuteronomy. Jesus, I bear witness of myself, and my Father bears witness of me. Two witnesses. Jesus was separated by two thieves on the cross. The antithetical, the one who believes, the one who in hardness does not believe. The one who says, remember me. What a, what a coming to salvation. Remember me. Well, just remember all through the Old Testament, God remembered his people. Salvation-wise, it's a term of covenant faithfulness. Two disciples ran to the tomb. Jesus walked with two on the road to Emmaus. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Scripture, the number two, represents witness to the truth. And this psalm is just simply bubbling up with the power of this is true. You've got to understand this. It's not vague. It's not ethereal. It's not hard to grasp. It's true. And it's thrown all over the pages. It's no mere sentimental reflection, but a deep statement of the truth. Then another aspect of the poem that is the and this is the shepherd psalm is called that by most people the shepherd psalm but a lot of it, commentators and a lot of people kind of get halfway through and they quit on the shepherd imagery that something else has taken place i mean sheep don't sit at tables do they have you ever seen that I have with dogs. You know that poster with the dogs playing cards? <laughs> Just try to imagine sheep up there. Uh, no. I, I really, I, I strongly believe, and I'll give you my reasons, why the shepherd motif continues. It's not, doesn't start out as shepherd and switch over to host. The table. Thou preparest a table. It's at that point where some believe that the shepherd theme left off with the rod and the staff. Then we go to the host. 
But for the shepherd, the table was an animal hide, a leather, a blanket spread upon the ground. And this was true, not just for the ancients as far as sheep tending, but most people didn't own a table. You spread your food out on leather. And for sheep, their food was spread out on leather because cloth, material, if they went to bite it, it would kind of gather up in their mouths. Leather gave them the ability for the, for the, in places of wilderness, in places where there was no food, where there was no green pasture, the shepherd could lay down the leather and put the food that he has in a sack. Now remember, we think of, now, we think of, a, sh- a flock of sheep is hundreds. And we even have in the New Testament, the Lord saying of the ninety and nine, that the, the flock was a, a, a flock of a hundred. Well, that was an exaggeration to make the point of the one. But most flocks were a dozen, a couple of dozen. So it's not unreasonable or unthinkable to realize that a, an animal skin, a leather of, you know, four by six foot, get that off a big cow, that would be sufficient. The meaning is much more, not so much of actual furnishing, but of the place where eating will occur off of that. But it's, a, it's deeper than that. Because leather also has a ceremonial, leather table, table imagery all through Scripture have a ceremonial image. Ultimately in finding its greatest fulfillment in the Lord's table. The body and the blood. And it's upon this table that the provisions have been served. Provisions in front of the enemies. The Lord was crucified, his body broken, the blood shed, with a horde of jeerers and and mockers before him, doubters and unbelievers beside him. And the table was spread before us in the presence of our enemies. They want what we have. If we have the comfort of God. It's provision that brings cleansing. It's provision that brings life. The skin. Think of this now. This is a Genesis psalm. The words that are being used are garden-like. Green pastures, still waters, fear. A skin provision. I believe here in this psalm we we are hearing the echoes of Genesis chapter 3. The first evidence of sinful man was evidenced by what? I was afraid. I'm fearful because I was naked so I hid. And after the curse and the degradations of the power of sin are explained to him and they are experiencing it even as they stand before the Lord. The Lord took an animal, slew it, and took its skin 
and covered them. The first picture of the gospel. The oil as a shepherd. Shepherds would use oil as an analgesic to clean, to cleanse wounds. Sheep wound their faces and their heads. Disproportionately so to all the rest of their body. And that oil would cleanse and clean and repel insects and prevent infections. This is the symbol of the cleansing work. Oil, anointing, is a setting apart, specially identifying those set apart by God. The cup, as the spread of food is brought by the shepherd, so too is the refreshment of water which is given in a cup. But only now the cup is a metaphor for the lot and the, uh, for life. Oh, the, the Lord said, if this cup, if your, be your will, let this cup pass from me. But now the cup is brought to us overflowing and filling, and it's changed us. The lot of our life is changed. It's different. We're new creations. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. And the cup and the overflowing of it represents those things. I have new life. I am a new creature. I am a new creation. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Was there a house of the Lord at this time? No, there was a tent. <laughs> but the purpose still served for the same reason. What was the purpose of a little lamb growing up in Palestine, ancient Palestine? What was the purpose of his life? To be brought as a sacrifice. To go to the temple and do what? To go to the tabernacle and be what? Slain. But because of the work of the Lord, the shepherd sacrificing himself, bringing the provision of cleansing and new life, the sheep no longer goes to be the sacrifice. The sheep dwells, lives, abides in the house of the Lord forever. It's a salvation story. It's the covenant God, Yahweh, the one who condescends, who has brought his word to his, and his spirit to his sheep and restores them. He has plans for them and he leads them to walk in paths of righteousness so that they bring him and his name praise and glory. We no longer need to fear the rod and the staff, the very arms and the hands of God, the providences of God. Those things that all things work together for good to those who are love and are called according to his purpose. Butchered that verse a little bit. He has made the sacrifice, and my life is spared. And they have the goodness and the mercy of God that come from behind us, and they lift us up. Literally, the, the, the verse is saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It is the kind of the idea, and it's no longer the bears and the wolves and the lions that will chase the sheep. It is the very goodness of God that pursues them. And it is the very mercy of God that 
is behind them and upholds them. core emotion of humanity, the one identified by all of the uh, psychologists and therapists and researchers and people who do sociology and people who do psychology and those that, you know, are answering the question, what are the basic human emotions? Some have a list of two. Happy sad. Most have a list of four or three to seven or eight. On every one of those lists, fear. Now, in most ways they don't agree with each other. I mean, literally there are hundreds of names of different emotions that, that boil down to certain categories. Fear is a primary emotion. And so is comfort. What are you f in fear of today? What is the fear of your soul? What is it spiritually for you to stand and understand when you wake up in the morning and you see yourself in the mirror as you prepare for whatever your day is and, and for the routines and the rituals and the relationships of your life? What, what, is, what is in that place? When, when you lay down at night and the lights are off and the sound is dim, and you're not quite asleep. You feel something. Is it fear? I'm afraid I don't mean anything. I'm afraid no one loves me. I'm afraid I can't do this. I'm afraid of whatever the failure would be. I'm afraid that I won't measure up. I'm afraid that I don't have what it takes. I'm afraid I don't look good. I'm afraid by comparison to so many other people in so many other ways that I'm afraid. It is the testimony of Jesus Christ that wipes away all of our fears and brings us comfort. This psalm calls us to recognize the sacrifice of the shepherd so that we can be comforted. Oh, spiritually, for sure, spiritually. There's a forever, twice, all the days of my life, and then forever. We're called to be comforted. There's sadness and sorrow and hardship and heartache and disappointment. and it's all, it's all around us and we do it. But Christ laid down his life. You're cleansed. You are a new creation. He who began a good work in you is performing it quietly, <laughs> inexorably, beautifully, kindly, wonderfully, graciously, like a shepherd for his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And and even though I I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You have sacrificed yourself and laid it on the the skin that covers me. And you've anointed my head with oil to give me purpose and set me apart, to cleanse me. I'm changed. And that cup, it will continue to flow. I missed it the first time. I didn't get it the second time. <laughs> but it continues to flow. It continues to, to flow because it, it's filled to overflowing and God's mercies have no end. And the very name of God comes alongside you to uphold you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. It is finished.